This morning we are in Luke chapter 18. This is going to be our last sermon in the New Testament for a little while. We're going to go to the Old Testament after that. But we're going to be in Luke 18.35 through Luke 19.10. Luke 18.35 to 19.10. And we're going to uh, encounter two characters here this morning. And I hope that you can identify with one of these two characters. The characters in the Bible, there's a lot of different characters in the Bible. Some of them are there for our uh, positive example. Some of them are there for we should not be acting this way. And I hope that you can identify in one way or another with one of these characters this morning and the way that they sought after Jesus. So let's stand, please, to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning. Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 19.10. And as he drew near to Jericho, that's Jesus, A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Okay, got a beautiful passage here today. It begins with a blind man, a blind man and Jesus coming into Jericho. This blind man is sitting along the roadside of a dirty road going into an ancient city, and he's just sitting there doing what beggars do, which is holding out their hand and asking someone to give them something that they might live just another day. And as he is sitting there, a crowd is going by. And the crowd that is going by, he, he, it's a big enough crowd for him to ask, what's going on? What, what's happening here? What, why are all these people going by? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And we have no idea how this beggar knows who Jesus of Nazareth is, but somehow he knows who Jesus of Nazareth is. It, the, word, the fame of Jesus has spread to such an extent that there are big crowds following him now, and it's hard to get near to Jesus. And so he knows enough about Jesus to know that Jesus heals people. And somehow he knows about the, the nature of Jesus or who people think that Jesus is. Because he calls out to Jesus in an unusual way. The first thing I want to notice is that he calls out to Jesus in faith. And Jesus recognizes that. 
He calls out believing that Jesus can do something for him that nobody else can do for him. But he calls out loudly by an unusual name. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that this name of Jesus is used. The son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So this is the title of a king. The son of a king. This is King David. King David was the the most beloved and well-known king of Israel. And David is the king that God said is a man after my own heart. And one that he established a covenant with. A covenant where he said, I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. And not many people understood exactly what, what was going on with this. But they did understand that the Messiah was going to come in the lineage of David. And that is why the Gospel of Matthew begins with something that many people skip right over the first chapter of Matthew because it's not as dramatic as the first chapter of John. But what's the first chapter of Matthew? What's the first verse of the Gospel of Matthew? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And it goes from there and it traces how the lineage of Abraham goes through David and goes down to Joseph. And that the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph, is a direct descendant of David. And so Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah proclaimed. He is the son of David. He is special. He is different. And this man recognizes this and calls out to him in this way, honoring him. And so it says he calls out loudly. There's a lot of people, a lot of ruckus, a commotion. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And apparently it's loud enough to where it's bothering people. And they turn around and tell be quiet. It's like, stop shouting. We can't hear what he's saying. You're interrupting everything. Shut your mouth. And what does it say that he does? But he cries out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Why is this man doing this? Why, Why does he persist this way? Why does he shout so loud? Why is he making a mess? Because he's desperate. What does he know? He knows that if Jesus passes this way, he may never pass this way again. This may be his only time, his only opportunity ever to encounter Jesus. And if he's ever going to get his sight back, this is the one opportunity, and he is going to make as much noise as possible in trying to bring Jesus' attention to him that he might be able to ask for his sight. This is his one opportunity. And so he gets Jesus' attention. And Jesus is merciful, and Jesus is kind, and a man calling out for mercy Jesus always answers that call. And so he has people bring this man over to him in verse 41. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What an interesting question. Jesus asks a lot of questions in his ministry. And, and a lot of these questions, we should look at them. Like, why, why would Jesus ask this question? It, it's pretty obvious. Like you've got a blind beggar on the side of the road brought to you. You would know what he wants. So why does Jesus ask the question? I think there's two very specific reasons why Jesus asked the question. Well, the first one is general. The second one is specific. The first is the general reason why he asked this question. Because this is a constant and regular teaching of Jesus Christ that he would have for us to ask of him what we want. That we should express the needs of our soul. He has taught us very clearly, ask and you will, will receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open to us. That we should ask and seek what it is that we desire from the Lord. That we should, in, spre- in expressing the need in faith, that we receive that need in faith. And so what is going on here is that it is very clear what is happening. 
I am praying and asking God for something, and then God answers that prayer, and then I give glory to God, which is exactly what happens in this situation. Because if we don't ask for something, and something happens to us, we usually chalk it up to happenstance. Or, or my own, man, I'm fantastic. How in the world did that happen? I must have been doing something right. Or we, there's no clear attribution as to why this thing happened. But when we get down on our knees in great need for whatever reason and ask God for something that God already knows that we need, we're asking him for it. And when he grants that to us, we can rejoice and praise and give honor because it's directly attributed to the work of the Lord. And this is what happens here. Because all the people at the end, they don't just praise Jesus as a man gains his sight as they happen to walk by. But he comes before Jesus, asks for it, Jesus grants it, and they praise God. But the second part of this is very specific. It's not general. The second part of this is that this is a specific prophetic fulfillment of Jesus uh, being recognized as the Messiah. And so to understand this, we need to turn back in the Gospel of Luke to Luke chapter 4. Keep your finger where you are and turn back to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. And this is at the beginning, just right at the threshold of the ministry of Jesus, where he is coming out of the desert of temptation, he has been baptized, and now he is beginning to teach and reveal himself as the Messiah. And he goes into a synagogue, which is the local meeting place of the Jewish people, and he there enters into their tradition, which is going to choose a scroll of the scriptures, open the scroll up, and read something of his own choosing. And so what does he do? Jesus chooses Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, which is a abundantly clear, one of the most recognized passages related to the Messiah coming. And it says this in Luke 4, 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So it was going to be a specific part of the fulfillment of this prophecy of who is the Messiah going to be that he is going to cause blind people to see. And so here we have before us a test case of these things. A man that everyone recognizes as blind comes and says, what do you want? I want to recover my sight. Verse 42, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And a blind man sees and this is part of what it means to fulfill the prophetic word of Isaiah that the Messiah will restore sight to the blind. And that's what we saw happen right here in this passage. He says, your faith has made you well. In our seeking, we must believe. This man believed. This was not a disengaged thing that he did. His hope, his passion, his heart was towards Jesus. He sought Jesus. He believed in Jesus. Jesus acted, and Jesus glorified himself. And that's what happens with this blind man in his reaction. And immediately, verse 43, he recovered his sight, and he followed him, glorifying God. So, 
he gives glory to God and he wants to follow him. Sometimes Jesus turns people away and he sends them out on mission immediately. For whatever reason, he let this man follow him and come after him. And I just think it's fascinating. We lose track of a lot of people that, that Jesus has interaction with in his ministry, but this guy followed after Jesus. Wouldn't you love to hear him tell his testimony story over and over again as new people come into the, the, the following of Jesus? Who are you? Where did you come from? What's your story here? Man, I was sitting by the road, and I'd been sitting there for years, pitiful. I called out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus came and restored my sight, and here I am. And I believe in him. You should believe in him too, because he'll change your life too. And it's an amazing story. But he followed Jesus and glorified Jesus. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The outpouring of these things is never to glorify a person or a man. It's always to glorify Jesus. The glory from these healings goes to Jesus. And so I want to bring direct application to the soul because this is a, is a thing that is directly applicable to the nature of our soul because we are described in the scriptures as blind spiritually, as beggars spiritually, that we have nothing to offer to the Lord, that we are lost in our blindness, that we cannot see which way to go. And if we grope about looking for things of God, we'll never understand who God is on our own unless the Lord God opens the eyes of our heart that we might understand who he is. And it's important to contrast spiritually what we saw from just a few weeks ago with this rich ruler in verses 18 through 30 with what we see here with this beggar. This rich, powerful man of position comes to Jesus with a long list of ways that he wants to commend himself to Jesus, probably believing that, man, Jesus would be really lucky to have me on board with his disciples because I can bring a lot to this crew. And when he comes, Jesus tells him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything you have. And when you've got nothing, then come back to me, and I'll be glad to have you join me. And he turns away because that's not what he was looking for. But this blind man who has absolutely nothing and realizes that he has nothing turns to Jesus because he knows Jesus is his only hope. And he does, and Jesus grants his offer, his request, I should say, of mercy, and he does not pass him by. I can't ever read this passage without thinking of the, the old hymn. There is an old hymn that I love that was written directly related to this passage, which is, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. I don't know if you've ever heard this, psalm, this, uh, this hymn, but I'm going to read it to us. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. When on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Let me at thy throne of mercy find a sweet relief, kneeling there in deep contrition, help my unbelief, trusting only in thy merit, would I seek thy face, heal my wounded, broken spirit, save me by thy grace. Thou the spring of all my comfort, more than life to me, whom have I on earth beside thee, whom in heaven but thee? Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. We're going, to keep, we're going to revisit this with the next story. But what I want you to see here is in Jesus' mercy, he did not pass this man by. And when we call out to Jesus from the, the bankruptcy of our soul and the blindness of our spirit, he will never turn us away. He will never pass us by. Let's keep going. One thing I want to point out are some notes I, I guess I want to make between these two stories is a few notes on, on physical healing because this man is healed in this passage he is made sight 
His blindness is turned to sight. And I think it's important that we say a few things about what we should expect here or what, is, what do we learn from the Gospels about these things before we go to Zacchaeus. First question is, did Jesus really heal people? Is this, is this real or is this mythology? Is this legend? So the answer to the first question is, did Jesus really heal people? The answer is yes, Jesus healed people. These are the supernatural works of the Lord. The next question is, did Jesus heal all the people? Did he heal every sick, lame, leprous person? The answer is no, he did not. Did Jesus heal some of the sick and lame and leprous people? Yes, he did. He healed some. So why? And what purpose? Why did Jesus do these things? And there's, I think there's many things that could be said here, but there's four things that I would like to point out that I think are important. The first thing is exactly what we see here in this passage, is that Jesus healed people and acted in a supernatural way in order to glorify himself, to bring glory to himself. And this is the way every healing miracle in the Bible happens, that the glory is always turned to Jesus and not to a specific person. Second is that it affirms the messianic message of Jesus, or later it affirms the gospel. And I think the most specific uh, Act, uh, the most specific event related to this in the Bible is the paralytic man being dropped through the ceiling. Where his friends tear a hole in the roof and they drop, Jesus, they drop this man down through the ceiling in front of Jesus and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the reaction of the people is grumbling, people outraged, but the, the question is, listen, he can say that, but how do we know he can really, anybody can say your sins are forgiven? You can't see it. Well, Jesus is extremely specific. He says, what is harder, to say that your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your mat, and walk? And everybody knows that it's a rhetorical question. Saying, rise, take up your mat, and walk is way harder. And so Jesus says, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And the man stands up. Everybody is shocked. And the purpose of it is to affirm who he is as the Messiah. Some of these, which would be the third thing, third purpose, is to fulfill specific prophecies like we see in this passage today. It is to fulfill a specific thing that was spoken. But the fourth thing is just the general mercy of Christ towards suffering people. The Lord is merciful and he is kind and he heals in part to relieve the suffering of sick people. So another question is, what can we expect today regarding healing? And I would say there's much that could be said here. But in, in general, I would say we expect basically the same thing. All people to be healed? No. Some people to be healed? Yes. How are they to be healed? By prayer, by faith, by asking, by seeking of the Lord, and then receiving from the Lord. God grants some healing. He grants it in the same way he did back in this day, in the same way he did in Acts, according to his purposes, to glorify himself, to confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe the scope, actually, of healing is greater now than it was back then. Where were these things? They were happening right there in Israel in a very isolated place. But now there are Christians all over the world that pray and seek for God to show mercy and kindness to others. And we see people healed by the work of the Lord all throughout the world where Christians are. And so the question that I would ask you here, if you're like, man, I don't know about this, Pastor Vic. This seems very odd. Or this is not what I'm used to hearing. I would ask you, have you ever been around or prayed for someone to be healed and that person was healed in a way that was inexplicable by medical technology and medical means. 
and you gave glory to God for it. I would say that almost every Christian in this place today has prayed for, says, gotten down on their knees and asked God to heal someone that was sick and needed healing, and you prayed for it, and something that cannot be explained by normal medical science happened, and they were healed, and you gave glory to God for it. It has happened in this church numerous times since we founded this church, and we have given God glory for that. Some of you are actually sitting here today, and that's an awesome thing. We should pray and we should seek God for mercy like this man did on the side of the road and we should seek him to extend healing. We do not expect it all the time because his purposes are clear then and now that it is not his purpose to heal everyone, but some he does. And so I think the last and essential question that I want to ask or or pose to you related to this is, is the healing of the sick the primary reason why Jesus came? Is the healing of the sick the primary reason why Jesus came? And emphatically, the answer is no. We have the primary reason why Jesus came given to us at the end of our passage today in verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so there will be many that come to Jesus with great faith and with fervent prayer that will not be healed. But, and this is what I want you to hear about this. This is, the, I believe, the most significant part of this. There are many, I'm sorry, everyone that calls to Jesus for forgiveness of sins will receive mercy. So let me say that again. There are many that will come to Jesus and pray for healing and will not receive it. Some will, some will not. But everyone that comes to Jesus seeking the forgiveness of sins and calling out to God for mercy upon their soul will receive salvation. When the Lord God calls you to himself and you know you need the Lord and you call out, God, forgive me, have mercy on my soul, you will receive mercy because that is why Jesus Christ came. He came to be the savior of the world. There is no one too wicked or too far gone beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. There is no one that is too far in despair, no one that is too sinful, no one that is too far for any reason that if they call out to Jesus for mercy, that Jesus will not extend mercy to them for this is why he came, to seek and to save the lost. Well, let's go to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the next story here. After these people are praising God on the road, going into into Jericho, they keep going. And this crowd that just saw this happen with this blind man go into Jericho. And in the midst of Jericho, a, a large city, there's a large group. I'm sure the group is twice or three times as big as it was when they were on the road after this just happens. They're making their way down some street inside of Jericho. And there was a man, another man, a man that was not a part of the last story, but he was on Jesus's radar and this man comes and like, I've got to know who Jesus is. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. And so the, sta- the, the story begins from Zacchaeus' perspective as a chief tax collector, one that is overseeing the tax collection in this city. And We've talked about it before, but I've got to talk about it again. Tax collectors in that day and age were viewed about on the same level as robbers and murderers and informant traitors because Israel was occupied by Rome at that time. And I think the easiest way to think about it is if, if 
China came and took over America, and they decided to put an oppressive taxation on us to keep us basically enslaved to them, and then they got other American people to turn, and they paid them in order to oppress us all with taxation. How would we think about that person? And that's what you have going on here. It was a man that was extorting money from his own countrymen in order to enrich himself through the governing authorities. And so this is a significant man in a large city, but he's short. And he can't see because there's a big crowd of people. So how does this short guy find his way to seeing Jesus? Because verse 3 is key. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Who is Jesus? I want to know who Jesus is. I don't know how many of you here today know little about Jesus. I I cannot believe that there are not many people here today that know little about Jesus. And that question still rings in your mind. Who is Jesus? What was he about? What was he doing? What type of ministry did he have? This is how Zacchaeus was feeling. And he was compelled. He couldn't see, so he did not give up. What did he do? He strategized where Jesus' route was going to be. And he ran, it says. Rich guy running down the street and finds a big sycamore tree. Sycamore fig tree could grow up to 60 feet tall, large, broad branches with lots of leaves. You could climb up in there, maybe conceal yourself so you're not seen. And, you know, we love this one in the children's department, but this is not a children's story. This is a story about a wealthy, significant man so badly wanting to know who Jesus is that he is willing to climb up in a tree and completely embarrass himself to get one glimpse of who Jesus is, that he might have some understanding of Jesus. We see this in the Gospels. We see people that are just desperate. I think this often makes me think about the woman who was bleeding and dying and had tried everything. And she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And she presses through in her sickness to just try to reach out and touch Jesus. And she's healed. They just, they have to be near Jesus. They want to know who he is. And I ask you, do you have that same longing in your heart, that same passion to know who Jesus is? Would you be willing to embarrass yourself ridiculously in order to get a view of Jesus like this man did? But he is being called by Jesus. It's initiative. Well, it goes on and the perspective changes because the perspective changes in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. This is Jesus again in the, in, the, in the personal nature of Jesus and how he calls people one at a time to follow after him. And so Jesus is going along in the ruckus of this crowd, everybody asking him questions, doing whatever he's doing, and he stops and he looks straight up at this guy in the tree and he knows his name. And it goes from Zacchaeus seeking Jesus to Jesus seeking after Zacchaeus. We come to Jesus, each and every one of us, each person here that knows Christ as Savior, whether you realize it or not, you came to Jesus because you were drawn to Jesus by the Father. John chapter 6, verse 44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. There were a lot of other tax collectors in that town. Why was Zacchaeus in that tree? Because God had a purpose for him, and he was drawing him to himself. This compelling feeling of, I have got to see Jesus. 
is not an accident. It's not a happenstance. It's a part of the Lord Jesus' calling of Zacchaeus to himself, that Jesus loved him. He loved him as an individual, just like Jesus loves you as an individual person, calling him out one soul and one name at a time. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Get down out of that tree. Let's go. Jesus knows your name. Do you know that? Do you realize that Jesus is not some force out there? Jesus is a person. He is the king of kings. And in his omniscience, his knowing of all things, he knows your name. And he knows where you are. And he knows the struggles and the difficulties of your life. He is aware of these things. And so this is how it still works today. As you seek Jesus, drawn by him, you feel compelled to be near him. You feel compelled. There are some of you here today, I am convinced, that came to this service. Yes, you were invited, but you felt compelled to come. There was a reason why I need to be here. I need to hear this. I don't know why, but I need to hear this. And this is part of what is happening in this story today. And there is an urgency in Jesus' words, just like I hope you can see that there is an urgency in my words today, that the nature of your soul, the salvation of your soul matters and it matters today. And it's not something that we just go sit in the coffee shop and debate about, no, maybe one day you can be convinced, maybe one day you won't, because it doesn't really matter. It does matter. It matters what you decide about Jesus. It matters what you believe about Jesus. And there's an urgency in Jesus' words, and there's an urgency in my words. What does Zacchaeus do? He obeys. He gets down out of the tree, goes to the house, unlocks the house, apparently sets out some things. We see this often in Jesus' ministry where people come into another person's house and there's a lot of people standing around and there's a scene that sort of unfolds in the house. And so Jesus comes into the house of yet another sinner. And we see here that Jesus is not only a friend of the poor, but Jesus is also a friend of the rich because both are lost both are sinners, and it's something that the people watching don't like. They grumble about it. They're angry about it. James Edwards says that this is a, a scandal. Grace is a scandal because it insists on including those that we wish to exclude. This is a person they did not want at the table. They did not want or They enjoyed hating this guy, but Jesus welcomes him in, and it's something that they grumble about and are scandalous about, but Jesus is accomplishing the mission for which he came which was to seek and to save the lost, bringing all types of lost people into his kingdom according to his will. And Zacchaeus believes. He changes his heart. He learns enough about Jesus, and he believes in Jesus. And like all true conversions, which is what we have here, a change of belief, a change of heart, a man who was one way in the morning and is a different way in the evening because of what Jesus has done in his heart, there is evidence of a changed heart. There is repentance. There is the the thorough renouncing of sin. There is a determination to obey Jesus and go in a different direction. There is a significantly changed life. Old things passing away and new things coming. He is born again in Jesus Christ. And so a covetous, selfish chief tax collector is transformed in front of their eyes to become a just and a generous Christian and follower of Jesus. And so what does he do to express this? He stands up in the middle of the crowd and says, I'm gonna give half of all my possessions to the poor. 
And anyone that I have defrauded, I will pay back four times, which meets the, the Torah conditions for uh, making right what you have done wrong. He stands up and says it in public so that people will recognize what he has just said. And he's accountable. At that point, you've got to go do it. If you stand up in front of everybody and proclaim you're going to go do it, you've got to go do it. And so Jesus, based upon his, his confession, his renouncing of his sins and the obvious faith of his heart, says that salvation has come to this house today. He also is a son of Abraham. You may want to call him not a son of Abraham. I'm telling you he is a son of Abraham because he's confessed his sins and he's come to salvation. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Well, how about you as we close out today? No one, as I've already said, is beyond the salvation of Jesus Christ. No one will be refused the mercy of Christ that repents of their sins and calls out in faith to Jesus. There are many hospitals, doctors, counselors, psychiatrists that discharge many people as being incurable because they cannot help them. But any sinner may find forgiveness if he or she only comes to Jesus for mercy. Jesus will never turn away anyone and no matter how broken your heart may be and how lost and rebellious you may be, Jesus can change your heart. You can be born again unto new life in Jesus Christ. And so I urge you to call out to Jesus. I heard this past week one of the most sad stories I have, I've ever heard related to suicide. I don't know where you are today. You may be suicidal this morning. If you are, do not take your life. Turn to Jesus call to Jesus for mercy, for help. He will change your heart. He will give you new life. He will take away the darkness of your soul. If you are addicted, if you are in the midst of a radical identity crisis and you have no idea who you are or what you should be or where you are going, Jesus will give you the identity that you need to walk in a new direction. If you are consumed by anger or despair or whatever it is and you no longer have hope in this life, turn to Jesus. He is the Savior and he has come to seek you and to save you. If you know Jesus is calling your name today, you know who you are. If you're sitting in your camp chair right now and your heart is burning saying, I would gladly climb up in a tree to understand who Jesus is, I need this Savior I'm telling you, I want you to believe in Jesus today. Do not turn away from the call and the leading of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do something a little different, something that we have not done here before, and it's not the pattern of this church, but I'm doing it because I, I felt led to based on this passage. What did Zacchaeus do when he came to salvation? He stood up in front of everybody and said, I, I'm counted with Jesus now, and I'm repenting of my sins. I'm going, and I'm going to live in a different way. And he was not ashamed of it. He was glad to do it. He was glad to associate himself with Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, not with heads bowed and not with eyes closed, if this morning you feel compelled to put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have not known him before and you know that today is a day that you need to come to salvation, I want you to stand up and stand up and be counted with Jesus and put your faith in him today. Is there anyone in this audience that would stand up and say this morning, I want to be counted with Jesus Christ for the first time. I want to put my faith and my trust in him. Because I do believe there are people in this congregation that do not know Christ and are struggling with their faith. And part of getting over this is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Well, what I want to do now is pray. 
And those of you that have stood, I want to meet you right over here. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more. And we're going to sing together. May the Lord be praised. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage this morning. Thank you for recording these two stories and the way that you work in a miraculous way, in a way that you bring people to yourself, in a way that you have mercy upon us as sinners. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning, and we love you for the work that you have done in our heart. We sing praises to you because you are our Savior, and you are the one who reaches out to us in our greatest need, and you change us. We cannot save ourselves. We must be saved by you. We thank you for the new life that you grant us and the peace and the hope that we might have in Jesus Christ. Lord, let us honor you with our words now as we sing. We give thanks in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.